Okay, yeah, we're in John 15. Um, if you're still turning there, keep doing that. If you're there, stay there. Um, like Aaron said, uh, there's like new faces in here, so I'm just going to introduce myself real quick. I'm Dylan. I am married to Rachel, who's back there waving. She has cool tattoos, and she's awesome. Um, today, I'm teaching John 15, and we've been going through the book of John for how long now? For, yeah, forever. Yeah, and we've been usually watching these movies where Jesus has like a weird Italian accent and stuff like that. But um, for now, I'm just going to teach straight out of this and kind of go verse by verse and just break it down. Um, we're talking about uh, Jesus being the true vine and producing fruit today. And the title of the message is called All or Nothing. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for... Um, Thank you for yourself, God, and thank you for your word and for conviction. Um, I pray, Lord, that it's your words and not mine, and that your message comes across clear and powerful today to whomever you uh, want to hit, God. And I pray, Lord, that you just um, unravel our hearts in front of you and reveal areas where we might be either uh, living in uh, sin or rebellion or just hurting ourselves or um, letting ourselves be hurt, God. And I pray that we just, uh, as we just sang, come to the altar, Lord, and we just come to you uh, every single time, Lord, that's revealed. So thank you, Lord. I pray for conviction, correction, and encouragement, God. Uh, amen. Okay, so we're just going to go verse by verse. I usually have like a, like a three-point kind of message thing, but I wasn't really feeling it for this. I think it's really important. There's a lot of like meat to get through in this, so I'm just going to go verse by verse. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1, I am the true vine, this is Jesus, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You already are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So right out of the gate, we have some kind of heavy verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine. So we know that. Jesus is saying he's the vine. My father is the vine dresser. So Father God is, is, is what uh, takes care of, is, is the vine dresser. He is the, uh, the husbandman, as a lot of commentators put it, of the vine. Um, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So there's two points there that I want to address. Um, obviously, Jesus is the only true vine. Um, there are certain times in our life where we may, um, we may find things that bring temporary peace or even certain um, extra biblical things that, that we can hold on to um, that, that make us find peace. But the only true peace that we're going to have in this world is if we're in full reliance in Jesus. Um, the true vine, it's a good, it's a really, really good picture. It's something that's alive. It's something that's healthy and it's something that is growing and bearing fruit. So there's false vines, but if you watch long enough, you'll see those vines not really produce much fruit. You'll see in your life, a lot of your friends or family or um, sadly, like I've seen in my own life in earlier years, when we hold on to things that aren't um, Jesus, they aren't necessarily true life. They aren't going to sustain you. At some point, you're going to feel lacking or want more. And that's just, that's just truth. Um, the only answer for real life is Jesus. Um, and then verse 2, again, uh, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That's kind of scary, honestly. I'm completely... Uh, terrified when I read certain things like that because I'm like, oh my gosh, 
what if I'm not bearing fruit? Am I bearing fruit? And I start down the cycle and I'm like, okay, well, oh, what fruit am I? And then I start freaking out and thank God for prayer because I can just fall on my knees and, and cry sometimes and just freak out. And Jesus is cool with that. But God shows no partiality, we see here. No matter who you are, we're all treated equally. So if you're a pastor's son or daughter, or you're totally new to the church, or you just accepted Christ, or you've been walking with him as long as you can remember, if we aren't bearing fruit, we're treated the same. Okay? If we are bearing fruit, we're, we're treated the same. There's, there's no partiality with God. He doesn't respect men, as the Bible put it. He doesn't, um, he doesn't elevate uh, certain people based on position. So if, you know, I'm up here sharing a message, um, in some minds that may make it seem like, oh, Dylan must be walking really, really close with Jesus because he's up on a stage and he's reading the Bible. I hope I'm walking close with Jesus, and I hope that you hope that too, but the truth is is that I am subject to the same things you guys are subject to, and Aaron is subject to the same things that I am subject to. We are all on a level playing field in Christ. Um, so just moving on from that, we're treated equally. Um, in James uh, chapter 4, 8 through 10, uh, we're told to humble ourselves before the Lord and that he will lift us up. There's a lot of biblical heroes that we look up to, starting in Sunday school at a young age, or as you grow in your walk that you'll start hearing of guys like David or, or even Jesus. Like, you, you start seeing um, these characters and you, and you realize that, um, that I should take Jesus out of the list, but like David and guys like that, Abraham, we're all held to the same standard. If we're going to follow God, we're going to follow God. If we're not going to follow God, we're not going to follow God. Those are, the really, those are the two options. And so when you humble yourself before the Lord, really what you're doing is you're saying, I accept. I accept that this is this, the level playing field that I'm on. I accept that this is, uh, this is the rules of the game, per se. The rest of this verse, um, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. How many of you guys have experienced trials? By show of hand, so I'm not alone. I'm the only Christian. Okay. There's some of us that experience trials. Okay. As a Christian, you are guaranteed that you're going to experience trials. Um, these trials aren't always results of living in sin or doing something wrong. And it's important to know that. There are times in your life where you are going to see that when you're walking close with the Lord and that you're subject to him and you're letting the Holy Spirit work through your life that you're going to start bearing fruit. You're going to just, you're going to start bearing fruit. And then there's seasons all of a sudden where you feel like certain parts of your life literally get cut away. Certain groups of friends or, or certain um, social settings or a relationship or just even um, stability or anything like that, it'll start getting cut away. And we freak out because we think, well, I do, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? What did, what, did, what did I do? Why is God mad at me? What happened? Why did this get taken away? And you start searching and you're like, oh Lord, if there's sin, like, you know, I'm sorry, like, like help me figure this out because I don't want to be in this trial. But those trials are actually caused to bear more fruit later. The suffering that we go through is for the other people around us so that we can encourage them through their suffering. Suffering... Um, isn't necessarily an entirely self-centered thing. At the end of it, the fruit from suffering is righteousness, and we can share that with other people. Um, if you are in a place, though, where you know you're living in sin, yes, absolutely, that trial is from that. That's an obvious thing. But what I wanted to encourage some of you on is if you're going through a trial where you feel like you're not necessarily bearing fruit and you feel like it's kind of winter in the soul, like things are cold and, and nothing's really happening, hold on. 
because that's, that's a pruning season. That's something God uses so that it creates desperation in you and you have brokenness again and you cling to Jesus more than you would have in the past. And that's how we grow as Christians. <sighs> okay, verse three. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. That verse, um, I really easily read over, but it's kind of gnarly. Um, Jesus is saying to his disciples right here, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So how do we get clean? Jesus just said it's his word. It's, it's really important that we understand this. If we're not in the Bible on a regular basis, we're going to get kind of dirty. We're going to just stop feeling sensitive to the things of the Lord. We're going to not want to necessarily walk as close with him. And the interesting thing that I've found in my own personal walk is that the further I get from his word and the, the less I want to read it, it, that kind of starts growing. And then all of a sudden I might want to really just not read it at all. And then I have a disdain for waking up earlier and, and reading. Or, and, it, and then on the flip side, when I read the Bible more, I actually start getting hungrier for it. I don't know if you guys have experienced this. If, if we have, I hope, regular Bible readers in this room, the more you read, the more you're drawn to read. The less you read, um, the, the easier it is to stay in that area of not wanting to pursue the Lord. And I don't know about you guys, but a, a lot of this book isn't something like, you know, sometimes I see Instagram posts and it's like this girl and she takes a picture and it's like First Corinthians and a latte and all this stuff and it seems like the most peaceful morning in the world. But like a lot of this book is convicting for a reason. And I'm not always necessarily like the most peaceful state when I read the word because there's sometimes like in James, like, clean your hands, you sinners, and, and like repent, and you're like, whoa, whoa that's kind of heavy. It's heavy for a reason. That's how we get clean. God rebukes us so that he can heal us. He shows us our faults through the word. He shows us where we don't line up with perfection, and when we realize there's a gap, then all of a sudden there's a real necessity for Jesus. He's not just a song anymore or a, a thing we have to practice, but he becomes a real living savior. The more we're convicted and the more we're broken by this word, the more our reliance on Jesus increases. Moving on. Verses uh, four through six now. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Also heavy. Um, my takeaway that I got from this is that we can't um, bear fruit by ourselves. I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room that through our Christian walk, Sometimes, sadly, we will wander. We can do it on accident. We can do it intentionally. It can be a result of embarrassment when we know we've screwed up. It can be any number of things, just a feeling, um, you know, if you struggle with depression or anxiety and stuff like that. It can be any number of things. And we start to maybe sometimes wander from the Lord. And when we do that, as Christians, we still know, well, I'm still a Christian. I, I'm not as close to the Lord as I really want to be or should be. I know that. Um, but I still want to bear fruit. I still want to do things. I still have services that I need to do. I still have the gospel to share. I still have people I need to encourage. And, and after a while, you start doing it in your own strength because you're too embarrassed still to go to the Lord sometimes. And you're like, uh. And at the end of that, if you really look back, you can't really see real fruit. You can't. 
The fruit that we try to create ourselves is always a struggle. It's always um, a horrible experience. And, and I've lived through both. I've had seasons in my life where real fruit has happened with, I don't want to say effortlessly, but uh, with a lot more power, a lot less, uh, a lot less like struggle from my end. And I've also been through seasons where I'm trying to maintain everything on my own and just do it, and I end up burning out. It'll be an extreme. You've probably seen this in your life. You 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 get convicted, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna really serve the Lord now, and you sign up for 30 million things, and by the end of the month, you're doing none of it because you're so over it, and you just want to sleep. That's when you know you're kind of in that place where you need to just start relying on the Lord more. Um, there's an illustration that uh, a couple pastors have shared that I always really like. And um, <laughs> one of them was talking about how he was in his garden and he's walking through the garden. He started noticing that it was a time for, for fruit to be picked, whether it was lemon trees, lime, or whatever. And he said the one thing he's never noticed about his garden, he's never walked outside and been in his backyard and heard trees like sitting there like, and like trying to like grow fruit. They aren't like struggling and yelling and anger and freaking out. And no, there's naturally growing fruit. That's just what happens because they're in living soil. The natural reaction of living and being watered and having living, breathing soil is they bear fruit. They aren't trying, they're just living there. <sighs> okay, let's see what else my notes say with that. I think I covered it. Oh, I wanted to hit on this. Um, abiding in Christ and letting him abide in you. Those are two um, things that always need to go together that we sometimes separate. When Jesus says abide in me, that means to obviously live in the word, to pursue him, to pray, to try to bring yourself to a place where you're asking him for help to stay on the solid rock, to walk with him. But then next he says, and I in you. And this is a little more vulnerable. This is a little more scary, I think. I think it's easier to always be praying to abide in Jesus. But when we really ask ourselves, are we letting the Lord abide in us? Are we being vulnerable enough to say that I want Jesus really, Lord, I want you to be in my life and I want you to live here? Those, that's a scarier option, I think. I think it's easier to externally profess, um, even to ourselves or to God, like, God, please help me. I really want to, you know, I really want to do this. I really want to be a follower of you. But it's harder, I think, for the Christian to learn trust and to relax and let him abide in you. I've learned this personally over my entire life. That's pretty much most of my testimony. But um, there was an illustration that Spurgeon talked about that I was reading before I studied for this. And he said, like a sunken ship in the ocean is, uh, and, and he's not talking about the success or failure of a Christian, but he's saying our heart in the Lord's love. So, so if a ship is sunk in the ocean, like an old pirate ship, like you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, and they like go down and everyone's dying and stuff, just ignore the dying, but think about the ship. And the ship is filled with water. It's filled completely, it's overflown, it's all of that. In that ship, there is water still though. But all around that ship, there's also water. It's completely immersed. It's abiding in the ocean, but the ocean is also abiding in it. You can't have a ship that's totally airtight and like all this and it'll just float up to the top. It, you need to fully let Christ um, permeate through you and let your heart soak in that. <laughs> Moving on to verse seven. Um, are you guys still with me? Are you still in your Bibles? I hope so. Uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. This verse gets taken out of context all the time. It's uh, kind of similar to the, uh, you know, if you delight in the Lord, he will give you all your desires or whatever. Um, it's just, it's not what we like to make it. When we're abiding with the Lord, our heart is going to be different. 
going to be different than when we are just wanting things and just being ourselves and kind of operating in the flesh and doing all that. When we're abiding in the Lord, it means that his word is transforming us. We're seeking to live and walk in the Holy Spirit. Our desires start changing. We start seeing other people's needs versus our own. We start wanting to walk closer to Jesus and our desires keep changing and that cycle repeats. So when you start asking things, you realize you start asking less for material things or feelings and stuff like that and you start praying more for certain people or salvation for others or help so that you can do ministry a certain way or your prayer requests become more holy that's the whole point you're growing closer to Jesus you start looking more like him you never heard Jesus like okay father I really want that awesome horse that that Roman soldier just rode by on it would be so cool and I would be so much more respected if I had a horse just like that guy and I rode around on it triumphantly no no Jesus rode in on a donkey and it was awesome it was more awesome his heart was was set fully on the kingdom of God um, in Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, um, seek first the kingdom of God and the rest will be added to you. Guys, if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, I can promise you from personal life experience that things like rent or money or you need this or the material things, those things seem to just happen when your heart is set on the Lord. It is completely miraculous. If you fully depend on him and you fully trust him, he will take care of you and he will provide for you. Okay, verse eight. It's going to start getting faster now. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is kind of a weird verse for me to understand as well. This whole chapter, honestly, guys, this whole chapter was crazy convicting. When I was studying for this, it was powerful. My wife can attest to it. I realized all the shortcomings and how I've actually been living contrary lately to this. I haven't been necessarily focusing on abiding in Jesus. I have been asking him for material things. I have been just trying to pay rent. I have been just trying to make it. Instead of bearing much fruit, I've been begging for just small fruit for things to get by. Um, God is glorified through us. It's his work, it's his fruit, it's not ours, and we're blessed to be used. We need to have that mentality. God is glorified, like it says in verse eight, when we bear much fruit. The reason why this sermon, I decided to call it all or nothing is because as, as we get to the end of the chapter, you'll start realizing that Jesus is making a great divide. He's making a huge divide in his church. He's saying, I am the true vine, you are the branches, we are the branches, and you will bear much fruit. There's like, there's not an option there. There's not like you might, or you probably should, but it's okay if you don't. Or maybe, it's like a guarantee, it's a command. It's a total command. And so when I look at my life, if I have to answer honestly, if, if I'm in a place where I'm not bearing much fruit, I'm either intentionally going against that command, or I'm living in a way that isn't letting that happen. And there, there's no option. On the other side, he says, like we read earlier, they're just branches. So when we're looking, um, I was reading commentary, and during this part, a lot of commentators speculate that this is when they're walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is about to, 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 to really struggle through prayer and, and, and bearing the cross for us. Um, as they're walking uh, at the time of Passover, the gates are open um, during the time of Passover for the temple. 
And on the temple engraved there is a cluster of grapes. And a lot of uh, commentators suggest that they were passing this, and that's why Jesus started talking about it. Jesus really liked taking literal, natural things and making them into metaphors so that we can understand the kingdom of God better. The kingdom of God is so hard to understand that Jesus has to uh, iterate it in a uh, natural form. So as they're walking by this cluster of grapes, he starts showing them there's a vine, there's branches, and there's fruit. Now, I don't know if you've eaten grapes, but the stems, those branches, when they hold grapes, that's all they're good for. All they're good for is bearing fruit. They aren't good enough uh, to be like used in building houses. If I had a house built of grape branches, I would be super bummed. It, it wouldn't work. It'd be a floppy, weird, stinky house. It wouldn't be cool. And they're all lumpy and weird. It, you take the fruit off a grape branch and it's just kind of ugly. It's not really pretty. It's not useful. It's not good for, for even a decent fire, really. It's going to smoke a lot when it burns. It, it, it's not a good thing to be. To, if, if you are a fruitless branch, you're kind of bare. You're kind of... Um, uh, barren. You're not in a good place. So the only thing, sadly, this is like when we're compared to sheep, the only thing we're good for as servants of God is bearing much fruit. The good news in that is that when we decide to live for the Lord and we say yes to that, we will bear much fruit. The bad part is, is that if we choose not to, because it's a choice, if we choose not to live in accordance with that, we will be useless, lumpy grape branches. And that's a bummer. Jesus moves on to say that if you stay in my love, uh, I'll just read it again. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. That's a commandment. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I hope that all of us have experienced the love of Jesus. I hope that that's something we've all experienced. There is a way that, as a Christian, you can lose your joy. Um, David, we know David's greatest failure usually and David's greatest success. Greatest success is Goliath, correct? That's what we say. Greatest failure, that's Sheba. He was an adulterer. He took a guy's wife, got her pregnant, killed her husband, lied about it forever, and God had to confront him, bold face about it. And what's so amazing about that is David's actually super repentant, and it has a model prayer for us. In Psalm 51, make a note of this, Psalm 51, it's the prayer that David speaks after being confronted by the Lord and convicted about what he did to Uriah and Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Um, John Foreman did a song from it. Um, I'm actually just going to turn there and read it because it's really good. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Does it sound like David's living in joy? The answer is no. He's not living in joy. He's super bummed. If you're telling God, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me, that's not a super sweet place to be. The sweetest part about it, though, is that in this, he's actually repenting. And when you repent, you're agreeing with God. You're making a decision to agree with God about the state of your heart. When God says, hey, you're living in sin, you say, you're right, and I'm sorry, and please forgive me. And this is the model prayer for a repentant heart. If you go down, though, if you made note of that, Psalm 51, you go to verse 12. David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, 
and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. David was anything but a hypocrite. I know that he sinned and he was hypocritical by sinning against the Lord who had blessed him so much. But what made him not a hypocrite wasn't exactly the failure when he transgressed against God, when he purposely stepped over the line and purposely broke the law. Um, that actually, in accepting what he did was wrong and repenting made him uh, a man after God's own heart. That's what a man after, or a woman after God's own heart is. It's you're willing to just fully accept what the Lord says. You're a sinner. I am. You've accepted me. You're a saint. I am. Right? That's, that's the balance there. We're, we're, we're both sinners and saints. We are perfected, but positionally we're still imperfect. Or, sorry, practically. Positionally we are per perfected. When we die... We're done with sin. We don't have to play around with it anymore. We won't be trapped by it. There, there won't be temptation. There, it's going to be wonderful. But until then, we are subject to these um, temptations and, and the wily schemes of the enemy. Um, if you give in, there's hope. Trust me, there's hope. Um, it's always as simple as a prayer. And, and, and a heartfelt prayer. And, and God hears it. God hears when a sinner is repenting. God isn't the supporter of the self-righteous, the person who's always doing all right and lying about it. You look through scripture, God always goes near to the brokenhearted. He's always lifting up sinners who are beating their chest and realize I've done this wrong. I am doing this wrong. I am not living according to your word. Please help me. Please forgive me. God comes to the rescue for that. So moving on. Um, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. What's Jesus' commandment? Can someone say it? Can someone say it? What? Anyone else? What did Jesus just command them? This is super crucial and a little awkward, because I hope you're listening. You want to say it? No? Okay, wonderful. Great. Well, Jesus' commandment is to love one another. Um, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? This is like basic Sunday school answer. He died for our sins. Yes, he did. And rose again. And it's awesome. Um, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Jesus came into our world and died, and by the power of God, resurrected again and ascended into heaven. Jesus did everything for us. So when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, it's not just like a fun song that we sing. It's actually pretty gnarly. It's, it's kind of heavy. It's like, oh gosh, okay. You want me to love you, or love one another as you have loved me. That's, that's like a full-on life change. Do you, do you see what's happening in these verses? Jesus is completely separating his disciples from the world. That's what's going on in this. That is absolutely what's going on in this scripture. We can't be part of this world and be friends with the world and still call ourselves sons and daughters of God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. We're, gonna, we're about to move on and, and read down here about the world's hatred for the believer. Because they hate Jesus. The world opposes the things of God. So if we're friends with that, 
We're, we, we can't have full communion with God. So, so when Jesus is separating his disciples, these are harsh words, and they're grieved by them, but at the same time, they're necessary to separate the ones he loves from the world that is going to perish. Um, it's just super crucial that we understand that. When you guys grow up and um, get married and you start having a family and stuff like that, you're going to learn like I learned and like Aaron learned and like anyone else in the room that's married. Yeah, me and Aaron and Brooklyn and Rachel. Yeah. Um, that the hardest part of marriage is dying to yourself. I don't have to give you guys statistics. We know that divorce rate's real. We know that families are broken. We know that this country and the rest of the world is struggling to even maintain a basic family. But I think the number one proponent of that is that we have men who are now fathers and husbands and women who are now wives and mothers who aren't willing to, to die to themselves, who still are living for themselves and instead of the Lord. Um, the only answer to that is obviously dying to yourself and living for Jesus and what he commands us to do. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. Just a note, Jesus right there says for all things. Um, if, if someone ever comes to you and says, hey, I have this crazy revelation, I have this dream, um, and, and it starts kind of contradicting scripture a little bit and you're like oh, I don't know that sounds a little weird or those the super polite guys roll up to your doorstep on their bikes and their t black ties and they're like hey I know you're a Christian so am I but let me tell you about these three other books no 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 because if they say they believe all of Jesus and Jesus says that he shared all things that the father shared with him then it is a complete contradicting contradiction to add anything to what Jesus has already given us we can fully rely logically on the fact that Jesus said that he's given us all things. We can't both believe he's the son of God, risen from the dead, died for our sins, and we're going to heaven on his dime, and also believe that he didn't share with us all things. We have to take all of his message or nothing. We can't share. Okay, moving on from that. Sorry, I just want to make a note of that. Um, you did not choose me, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Okay, again, we get two reiterations. When you're living with the Lord and communion with him and you're walking with him, you're going to need things. The disciples needed things to go farther in their journey. Paul needed things to go further into sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. He needed things. So when we come in a need, but we're living in God's will according to his purpose, everything's going to work out for good. Romans 8, 8, I believe, right? Yeah, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Um, so when we're living like that, we're living lifestyles like that, we ask, we receive. That's, it's really, it's that simple. Um, yeah. Um, the world's hatred is what my Bible titles the next part, and we're about to close. Um, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's just reiterating again that Jesus is totally separating us from the world. I get that there's an argument. I had a friend growing up. We went to the same youth group together. And I was always concerned because he would throw himself into these situations. 
Uh, it was terrible. I'm like getting weird flashbacks from it. He would throw himself into these situations where he would make these friends who were wanting nothing to do with Jesus. Now, obviously, Jesus is the friend of sinners and tax collectors and people who are drunks and, and even prostitutes and the lowest of the low. But the thing that was different about them <laughs> and about the way Jesus did it was that Jesus didn't just constantly 24-7 surround himself with those people and then shun the disciples. No, he lived holy. He reached out to those people, went into their environment. But after he was done speaking, after he's made that call, after he's made his purpose clear, he waits for their response and then responded appropriately to what their response was. So he wasn't just, oh sweet, he wasn't just living with sinners for fun. He was actually reaching out in ministry. But the problem with this is that sometimes, like my friend or like I have done in the past, or some of your friends or maybe you have done, is you justify hanging out in a worldly environment in a situation where you know inevitably you're going to fall into temptation. And you start living there with those people and doing life with them. Inevitably, you're going to look like them and act like them and share their values and share their morals and share their characteristics. Trust me, I've been there. It's super cool to help people get saved, but it's not super cool to lose your credibility, your accountability, your word, and your testimony for the sake of that. You need to be separated from the world still. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. You guys ever heard that? You guys ever heard people? I have a guy, I just started working for a new company, and I was listening to this artist named Kai Kai, and she's awesome. It's kind of like a, a fantagram kind of style worship. It's really cool. It's cool music, and she loves the Lord, um, based on her lyrics at least, I haven't met her, but um, I was listening to that, and I had a coworker come up to me, and it's a guy I've never really gotten a chance to, and he owns a company that we work with, and he comes down, and he says, hey, is that Kai Kai? And I was like, yeah, awesome, are you a believer? And as soon as I said, are you a believer? <laughs> His face was like, he got all weird, he like literally crawled away, and I was like, uh, what did I just do? I just got hired here. This is so weird now. This is awkward. And he's like, uh, I'm not, I mean, I don't know if you call me a believer. Like, I, I know God. Like, you know, I don't know if you call me like all weird. I'm not all crazy about it. And I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, sweet. Like, <laughs> right on. Yeah, Kai Kai's awesome. I kind of ended the conversation right there because I didn't know what to do. But that is so common. And I don't know about you, but I've actually been there where he is. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I go to church, I, I, I love God, like I know who he is, and like, uh, it's just this kind of weird Jesus thing. That's what I don't really like. It's sad, because that, I don't know, I've been there. I know some of you in this room have to have been there before, at least when you're learning and you're thinking, is this real? Is this actually real? Why do my parents come here? Why am I here right now? Why am I actually here? If you know God already to the fullest extent, then there's no actual point to gather together and hear from his word. So there's some reason you guys are here right now. And the point of it is to come to Christ. If you're in Christ, it's to grow closer to him. If you're not in him, it's to accept him and grow in his salvation. Um, you can't love God and, and hate Jesus. You can't love God and, and be like, scared to like commit to a personal relationship with Jesus because 
Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God. You can't love one and hate the other. It's an all-in-all relationship, an all-or-nothing thing. Moving on. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Jesus right now is just talking about how the Old Testament was fulfilled. Um, that quote that he did in my footnotes is in Psalms. <laughs> but um, he came to his own and was rejected by his own. Jesus came first to the Israelites because that's what God ordained. And they rejected him to the point of crucifixion. He rose again. Now the gospel spread through the Gentiles and we are where we are now here. But it happened so that it might be fulfilled. Jesus performed these crazy miracles. Go through the gospels, read it. He performed crazy miracles. And in his own hometown, he had a terrible response rate. Yet in another town, he had even as far as like a Canaanite woman, basically like um, the, the, the just not a good person to be around if you're a Jewish person, come to him and, and, and beg for her daughter's health. And, and he saw constant faith through people who were not even supposed to have the faith that he was looking for, and yet his own people were so puffed up in their pride of being chosen and being set apart that they couldn't even see God was Jesus. So that's what he's talking about there. And this is the last part. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, just another title, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I'm just going to trickle into 16 for like a verse. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Basically, now Jesus is looking around, and I'm sure the disciples' face is just completely pale and scared because Jesus just said, uh, be separated from the world. They didn't accept me because they hated me. Um, also, yeah, like I said, I'm going to die right now. And you're going to be alone because I'm leaving you. That's why it's so important when we read, but this is like, hey, all this bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff, bad news first. And then Jesus comes through with, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's number one role. Number one role is not for a good experience or for feeling good. The number one actual role of the Holy Spirit, among other wonderful things, is first and foremost to profess and, and proclaim Christ as the Savior. Salvation is the point of being a Christian, and then when you're a Christian, sharing that salvation with others is the point of living. This is the whole point of the chapter, guys. If I have you take away anything, you can't do what Jesus is asking us to do without living and walking and breathing in the life of the Holy Spirit. I can't do it. I just can't. We're either going to bear much fruit or no fruit. We can't be satisfied to live a halfway life where we're bearing some fruit and also dying. One or the other is going to win. I'm not trying to scare you. I know that it's really easy, especially teaching high schoolers or junior high or younger, it's really easy 
to make the Word of God overbearingly convicting. It already is. It already is convicting. I'm convicted when I read this. Preparing for this message, like I said, was really hard for me. It was really hard. And I think I would be a terrible teacher if I didn't say it in love. So lovingly, guys, it's, it's time that we bear much fruit. It's time that we give our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole body, our whole soul, our whole energy to the work of Jesus. It's hard at first. It's hard to imagine. It's scary. And it's kind of, honestly, it, it looks weird from the outside. I'm married, and sometimes I have to have conversations with my wife's parents like, what are you doing? What job do you have? Why? Things like that, because <laughs> they let me marry her daughter. And it's terrifying sitting across the dinner table because in my head I'm going, well, I have this job because it really opens me up for ministry and we're not making a lot of money, but I really love the Lord and I really want to share his gospel more and I would really like more opportunity to do so. So I'm trying to live a life that sets me up to where I can do that. But I don't say that because I get scared and I'm like, oh, you know, just kind of going along and doing life. I'm just totally lying to them because I'm, I'm too embarrassed to really say with the power of the Holy Spirit, actually my love for Jesus is what made me take this job over the other one. The other one, I would have been making a lot more money, but I would have only been working for money, and we know what money does, especially to dudes. And I don't want to live like that. So that's really the choice. It comes in day-to-day -day conversations and in a day-to-day -day lifestyle and actions. Are we going um, to fully give in and surrender and let the Lord bear much fruit? And I promise you guys, you won't regret it. Some of my best friends growing up um, in the church I've seen two things happen. They're either the branches or they bear much fruit. And I love seeing the friends that have just are bearing much fruit. It is so amazing to see someone where I'm like, dude, how are you even like doing what you're doing? Like, I had no hope for you when we were in high school. And yet they're on a missions trip, like killing it. And like people are getting saved. And, and why? It's because they're fully surrendered to the Lord. And if we aren't there, if we aren't there, First uh, John 1, 9, I believe, um, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful to forgive us. If right now we're realizing, myself included, Lord, I am not living up to this. I am not being the real deal. I am not bearing much fruit. Much fruit. Much. Jesus doesn't exaggerate for fun. Much fruit is literal. Tons of fruit. Lord, I'm not bearing much fruit. Am I being pruned? Or, or am, I, am I not being obedient? Am I not living for you? Do I fully believe that you're coming back? Or am I kind of just getting through? That's stuff I ask myself, guys. I'm not just trying to throw that on you. I promise you, my wife can attest to it. My close friends can attest to it. I wrestle with this. It's hard. It's scary. But the fear goes away when love is perfected in us. And as we've read, Love being perfected in us happens when we're obedient to the Lord, when we start learning of him more, and we surrender to him more, and we pray more, and we live for him more. So when Katie's closing a song, what I want, um, Katie, if you don't mind, um, just have like a moment of just like, kind of, it's awkward. I know this is weird. I know we don't normally do this. We're just going to sit silently for just as, as long as you feel. Just pray, and then once you're done praying, you can just play, stuff like that. But what, what I want is for us to actually reflect. I don't want this to be a normal worship song where we sing, and we know that in three minutes and 24 seconds, the average pop song, we can walk out of the door and be free from the conviction. What I want, guys, is if there is vulnerability creeping in, if there is conviction in my own heart as well, um, either 
you know, spend that time in prayer. And if you're led to talk to someone, then talk to someone about it. If it's not, if there's no time or it's weird, whatever you're convicted to do, write it down, take a note of it in your app, do whatever you need to do, but ask the Lord where you are. Please don't let this be wasted time. Um, I have to do the same. So if you're willing to do that, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, let's pray and then you can come up for worship. Lord, thank you so much for this time um, in your word. Thank you for your love, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that I bear much fruit. I pray, Lord, that we as a small group and uh, the leaders included, that we repent wholeheartedly to you, Jesus. Um, please forgive us for just lollygagging, like for being lazy and, and being comfortable. God, I pray that um, we realize we weren't saved for ourselves, Lord, but we were called according to your purpose. And I know, Lord, how young a lot of us are in this room, myself included. And this isn't a sprint, Lord, it's a marathon. So I pray, Lord, that with this conviction, we wisely approach it in prayer, calmly to you, Lord. If we're struggling with anxiety or fear or anger or anything like that, Lord, I pray that we come to you about it and with it in full honesty, Lord, and just let you work through it. I pray, God, that we would have the maturity to know that you are going to finish the work you started. And if that work hasn't been started, Lord, if, if there's anyone in here that knows there's a tug on their heart, Lord, and they want to be saved by you, Lord, because they know that real life is in you. They've exhausted all other options. I pray, Lord, that in the quietness of their heart, they would accept you, Lord. If anyone strays or wanders, Lord, myself included, that in the quietness of our heart, we would repent and we would turn back to you, Lord, wholeheartedly and look you in the eye and say what you are, Lord, your King and your Lord and your Savior, and just sing hallelujah to you, Lord. Thank you for this time. I pray for the people in this room, Lord, that we just grow closer to you, that this year would not be wasted, and that this new entry into the next level of adulthood for certain incoming freshmen, Lord, or um, people leaving soon or growing into their senior year, wherever they are, Lord, I pray that um, they would hear that plea to live for you starting now, because it'll just get harder later. Amen.